open there to Ephesians chapter 4. Let's go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the reading, the words of our God. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to you. Beginning in verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and in all and through all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray together. Oh Lord our God, would you open our hearts and our minds today to receive your word. And God, my prayer is that we would be changed by it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It was hot and it was dirty on the pilgrimage road. You could barely walk around. It was just so crowded on this road that all the pilgrims were on. And then along the way you looked around and folks had set up makeshift shops, little booths and tents, selling food and clothing and all sorts of different things. There was an excitement in the air. I mean the atmosphere was absolutely electric. Everybody was excited and, and people were talking about their former pilgrimages, some that had even happened decades ago. It's exactly right. Whitney and I were walking into our first Grateful Dead experience. <laughs> we're going to Lakewood Amphitheater in Atlanta to see Dead and Company, which is some of, the, some of the guys that are still alive from Grateful Dead and some other folks who come together and, and play Grateful Dead songs. We're at this Dead and Company, Grateful Dead concert and it dawned on me as I was there first of all the first thing that dawned on me was this is the place in the world where I am least likely to get into a fight these people are happy to be here no nobody there's fighting they're all very peaceful but I also recognize as we're walking in here no other band in history that I'm aware of has had a following 
quite like the Grateful Dead. People follow them all over the country. You've probably heard of the folks that follow them. They're called Deadheads. And they follow them around, and sometimes they'll follow them for an entire tour. They'll buy an old school bus and put some peace signs on it, follow them around all over the country. It's just one example of many of the sort of people who are followed in the world. The Lord Jesus Christ said, as the choir so echoed so beautifully, follow me. Follow me, the Lord said. It is the call of discipleship. And it's a call that is heard in every facet of our society. Everywhere we turn, everywhere we look, somebody is saying, follow me. Some group is saying, follow me. From the Grateful Dead to politicians to religious leaders to sports teams to social media, follow me is heard everywhere all around us. And yet you've never heard that question framed or phrased in a more important way or from a more important person or in a more life-changing way than the question from the lips of our Lord Jesus Christ, follow me. The call of discipleship is the call that the Lord has made to every Christian. The call of discipleship, hear me carefully, the call of discipleship is the call that the Lord has made to every Christian. Follow me, the Lord has said. My question to you this morning is, what is your answer to the Lord? What is your answer to the Lord's call of discipleship? Will you follow the Lord Jesus Christ? And so let's ask ourselves a, a question today, and it's this. What does a healthy follower of Jesus look like? What is a disciple? I want to show you simply this morning four points. I've been gone on vacation. You knew you'd get an extra point today. Four points. Four points this morning about what a follower of Jesus, what a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ looks like. And these four points ought to shape and frame the way we disciple people here in our church. It ought to impact the way we do discipleship as a church. So four, four points about what a healthy disciple looks like. Here's the first point this morning. First point is this. Disciples are defined biblically. Disciples are defined biblically. Paul's in prison when he writes this letter to the church at Ephesus. And he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. This is the, the basic definition, I would say, that Paul gives for the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, how you become a disciple, he'll define here in just a moment. It's by putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. One faith, one Lord, one baptism, one hope. And yet, those who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who have trusted Jesus, are those who must walk worthy of that calling. We must walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. And that is the call to follow Jesus, the call of discipleship. 
So what does it mean then to walk worthy? What, is it, what does it mean to walk worthy of the calling? We, we first and foremost recognize it's, it's something we cannot and will not until the Lord Jesus takes us home do perfectly. Right? We, we cannot do this perfectly. We will not walk exactly like Christ in our day-to-day lives. And yet, there must be a worthiness to the way we walk with Christ. Paul gives some definition to what it means to walk worthy. He says, I will urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Then in verse 2, he begins to define what that looks like. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That means walking worthy is defined for us in simple terms by walking in humility, by walking in gentleness, by walking in patience, by walking in love and unity and peace. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. These are not things that come naturally to many of us. These are not things that come naturally to many of us. Even those of us who may be humble, sometimes it's just from a lack of self-confidence that we just sort of are down on ourselves. Well, that's not always humility in those cases. Our gentleness sometimes is, a, is, is, is just a willingness to just be run over all the time, and that's not necessarily what gentleness is meant to look like. Sometimes we're patient outwardly, but on the inside we're actually being passive-aggressive. That's a term you've never heard. I'm sure it's one you've experienced. Or perhaps even bestowed the blessing of passive aggressiveness on someone else at some point in your life. Love, unity, peace, these things don't come naturally for us. Naturally, we want things our way and we want it right now, immediately. And yet the Bible says if we're going to walk worthy of Christ, if we're going to walk in a manner worthy, if we're going to be a genuine disciple of Jesus, then we must walk in these things. Now, I think sometimes we get things backwards. Now, there, there, there could be no question that what we would consider to be morality, just kind of traditional morals, things you don't do, are very important in the New Testament. I, I think they're extremely important. They're highlighted a lot in the New Testament. In fact, the passage, I love the passage from Colossians that Nathan read because I love it because it talks about putting off things. And I've told y'all before, I'm a recovering Pharisee, and Pharisees love to put off. Let's get rid of all the bad stuff. I want to be as good as I can possibly be. And what that means is that, you know, I don't drink or smoke or hang around girls that do, you know, kind of thing. I don't play cards, I don't dance. I don't do any of those things. There are things other people might do, but we don't do that. We love to put things off. And yet the Bible also talks about putting on these things. And in fact, as important as putting off is, as important as these morality things are, it's just as important, if not more important, in the terms of the Bible to put on good things in place. So often I'm afraid that I see in Christian culture a tendency to put things off but never put anything else back on. And that's how you wind up with bitter, angry, unchristlike Christians who are so busy not doing things that they forget that they're supposed to be walking worthy of Christ. You ever met somebody who seemed very righteous, but they were also very prideful? There's a reason for that. It's when you put off, but you don't put on. We must walk worthy of Christ in humility in gentleness, in patience, in love, in unity, in peace. 
You ever seen a bunch of really righteous Christians who just can't get along? It's because you put off, but you're not putting on. You see, we've been called together to walk worthy of Christ as one body, with one spirit, with one Lord, with one faith, with one baptism, under one God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been called together as the body of Christ through one faith in Jesus. There there are not multiple bodies. There is one body of Christ. And so we must walk worthy of the Lord if we are to demonstrate this unity in the Lord's church. You see, disciples are defined biblically, and we must, off, we must recognize, we must realize, and we must live out this reality every day in our lives that it is God who defines what a disciple is. And my hope and my prayers as disciples will recognize it's not just about putting off, but it's also about putting on. Disciples are defined biblically. But second of all, Furthermore, disciples are equipped for ministry. Disciples are equipped for ministry. Listen to verses uh, 11 and 12 here in um, Ephesians chapter 4. And he gave, that's God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Everybody's feeling good right now, right? We like all that. Uh, I think he gave us apostles and prophets to give us the scriptures. I think that's a, a picture of the foundation of the scriptures, the Bible. And then God gave gifts to the church, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to help get the, the Bible to us. You, know, you think about it, evangelists over the years have spread the gospel. Evangelists, missionaries have spread the gospel and it made it to Gazin, Alabama. First Baptist Church has been here since 1855, and God's given a lot of shepherds and teachers to help get us this far and to share the gospel. And, and who knows what your testimony is, but somehow or another, God got the Bible to you. And you heard the scriptures, and we like that. That's a good thing to like. Praise the Lord for that. But sometimes I'm afraid that what we think is God gives us this group of folks in order that he might make more of them. Let's just keep making more preachers. Let's send them off to seminary, let's get them back here, and let's, let's get them to continue to teach us and help us grow. And that's an important thing for us to do. It's something we're passionate about. And yet, at the same time, I, I want you to notice what it says in verse 12. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. To do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, you know we're not the saints. Y'all know that. You know that about preachers. Preachers are not saints. You got that figured out already, right? So who's that leave? Leaves y'all. Even the choirs, a group of saints back here. Y'all didn't know that. They are. Here they are. The saints are the, the people of God. It's not some special class of super Christians. It's everyone who's been made holy by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the, and the goal of these leaders, the goal of, the, of the, those who, teach, who gave us and who teach the Scriptures is to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. We talked about this some when we talked about spiritual gifts, but it's important to recognize this in discipleship. I am not the only trainer in this church. Woody's not the only trainer in this church. Your Sunday school teacher is not the only trainer in this church. It's our goal to train you, to help equip you so that you can do ministry also. And what that means is that we are not the only people who need to be pouring into and investing into others. 
It's important that we have a culture of discipleship in our church, if the church is to be built up. Let me ask you this question. Are you being built up? Are you being built up? In other words, are you putting yourself in places where you can grow in your spiritual life, in your spiritual walk? Now, one basic way to do that is to come to church. Shepherds and teachers tend to do their shepherding and teaching in the context of the the gathering of the local church. It's important to come together on the Lord's Day. And yet, some of you sweet saints have been walking with Jesus for a long time. Think back. Think back to when you were first a Christian. Some of y'all, that might be recently. Some of you, maybe not. Some of you, just a few years ago. Some of you, maybe decades ago. And think back to when you were first a Christian. Let me ask you this question. Is your walk with Jesus the same today as it was when you were first a Christian? Anybody? Was your, is your walk with Jesus today exactly the same as it was when you first became a Christian? Well, no, of course not. And my question to you is, why not? Why not? What's changed? Think, I really want you to think about it. What changed? You know, when I answer that question, what changed? I think about a huge group of folks who poured into my life. Now, the obvious answers are there. I've had pastors. I've been an intern for pastors. I went to seminary. I've been invested in by folks, the quote, big names, the people you would think of. But at the same time, when I think back to where I am now versus when I was first a Christian or before I even became a Christian, I was learning what Christianity was. Some of the most important names on that list are people none of you have ever heard of. People that will never preach here, people who will never speak here, but people who invested in me as a young man in ways I didn't even understand at the time. One guy was a guy named Joe Hunt. And Joe Hunt taught 7th grade boys Sunday school for 40 years. Now, if that man's not a saint, who is? Who is? And I'm going to tell you something. I know that that precious man had to be so frustrated some weeks. I I know that he had to go home and tell his wife, you know what, this is a bunch of knuckleheads. He was right. This is a bunch of knuckleheads. And this, I I don't think anything's ever going to come of this. I don't know why I do that. I, I, he's never told me he did that. Maybe he didn't. He was a sweet man. But, you know, he, he owned a hardware store, and he'd bring us bubble gum every week, and we'd chew bubble gum and talk about the Bible. And it, when he died, I went to his funeral, and I sat there, and I thought, for some reason or another, that man loved a bunch of seventh-grade boys. And when I went off to college to study for ministry, I went off to seminary to study for ministry. I'd come back to my home church, First Baptist Church of Boaz, and I would walk in, and every time I saw Joe Hunt, he gave me a bear hug and had to walk off because he started crying. And it wasn't just me, it was all those boys that were in his Sunday school class. Now, I want to tell you something. You may look at a pulpit, you may look at what the world seems like, seems to define as the glory of the church or, or the glorious things to do, and you may think, I can't do that, and so I'm not useful. But brothers and sisters, there are a lot of Joe Hunts in this room. There are a lot of you who can invest in others. And it may seem like you're wasting your time at the time, but I promise you, you never know what God might do with one of those knuckleheads. I ask you this question, are you being built up? Are you walking with the Lord and being built up in such a way that you're able to invest in others? And then I ask you this question, are you building someone else up? 
Paul makes it clear in Titus 2 that the older women are supposed to teach the younger women to help them. And I've got a, a young mom in my own home. I've got three little kids. I'm a young dad. And, and there are still things that members of this church have told us and helped us understand as parents that we did not learn in any of the books we read, in any of these different contexts, just people helping us with the basic things of what it means to be young godly parents. What a blessing, what a joy it is that the church builds one another up. Brothers and sisters, here's reality. Disciples are equipped for ministry. And so you are not just equipped to go back out into the world and survive another week. You are being equipped to deploy your gifts right here in the Lord's church. To be invested in and to invest in others. That's not the only things that are true about disciples. Our third point is this. Disciples are sturdy in the faith. Disciples are sturdy in the faith. Verses 13, 14. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. See, you may wonder sometimes why we do what we do here at First Baptist Church. Uh, you may wonder, why is, why is the pastor typically, we're doing a little topical series this summer, but typically we're going to open up a book and go through a book. Last Sunday this month, kicking off a new sermon series, we're going to go straight through the book of 2 Corinthians. Let's just preach through the verse by verse 2 Corinthians. Corinthians. Why do we do that? Why, why every Sunday do we try to point you back to the text of the Bible? Why do we do stuff like training you on Wednesday nights? In a few weeks, I'm going to start a class uh, on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Why, why, why are we doing that? Why, why are we committed to teaching doctrine? And, and why are we committed to preaching the Scriptures every Sunday when we, we could be doing something fun? You know, we could be entertaining. You know, there's nothing in this world I love more than to tell stories and to tell jokes. I'm not very good at it. Y'all all leave, but I'd love to do that every Sunday. Just get up here, tell y'all stories, tell jokes. Me and six of you that would be left. Why do, we, though, why do we go to the text? Why do we go to the Scriptures every week? It's because true disciples are sturdy in their faith. True disciples are sturdy in their faith. There's enough self-help in the world for you. You need the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need the whole counsel of God. And the Bible here tells us that as the body is being built up, that as time goes on, we will begin the process of attaining the unity of the faith and a knowledge of the Son of God and what the Bible calls mature manhood. Mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, this is a picture of a process. This is a picture of a process. I was waiting for some roll tides, but I didn't get any. And that's, I thank God for that today. You know, it's getting close to college football season. Every time an Alabama fan hears the word process, they don't stop smiling for 30 minutes. You know, they get so excited. I, I live with one, I know. Here, here's the reality. It's a picture of a, of a process. Notice what he says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's not somewhere we're going to get in this lifetime. But that doesn't mean we won't make progress. It's a picture of progress in the Christian life, a unity of the faith knowledge of the Son of God and the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What that means is that the genuine disciple of Jesus, as their life progresses, is becoming more and more and more like Christ. You become sturdier. You reach mature mature manhood. There's a reason why it's not fair to fight with a child. It's because a mature man has an advantage over a child because they're stronger, they're sturdier, they're, they're more capable. But the Bible contrasts this mature manhood with a sort of spiritual childhood. Notice what the Bible says, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. We were at the beach when we were on vacation and uh, we were in South Carolina on the coast, and so the waves are a little different there than they are down at the Gulf. It's the Atlantic Ocean, and so the tide comes in and goes out really significantly. And, and there are times when you get in one part of the ocean, I'm telling you, there are some serious waves. Some waves that I kind of struggled to stay up under. So you have to be real careful as you're watching your children uh, because they don't know what's going on. They, they, they just see the ocean. They're having a good time. Next thing you know, one of them's getting hit in the mouth with a wave, and you're having to drag them out of the ocean. And we're talking about just on the edge, right? Just on the edge of the ocean. There was a, a degree out there that I wasn't even willing to get out that far just because I'm, I don't trust myself to be capable to get back in, especially on one of the rougher days there. But as I see my children, think about my children being out in the ocean and getting tossed around, by the waves, it's, it, and maybe some of you saw that this summer, have seen that before, a child getting hit by a wave, it can terrify you sometimes. And that's the biblical picture of a spiritual child out in the world without the sturdiness of discipleship under their belt. They're tossed by the waves of false doctrine. They're tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Brothers and sisters, the devil hates you. And the devil hates your walk with Christ. And he'll do anything he can to toss you to and fro, to make you not sturdy in the faith. But true disciples of Jesus are sturdy in their faith. That is precisely why we preach doctrinally. It's why we preach the text. It's why we teach doctrine. It's why we go to great lengths to try to equip you, to disciple you. Because we live in a world where truth is under fire. We live in a world where false teachers are everywhere. And listen, they don't have to come through town on a horse like they used to have to do. They used to have to come to town to get to the Lord's people. But now all you have to do is turn your TV on and you can find some jack-legged preacher saying something goofy about God. All you have to do is turn on your computer and you can find somebody saying untruths about the Lord. But we must be sturdy in our faith to know what to reject and what to accept in our walk with Christ. And finally, not only are disciples sturdy in their faith, but finally, disciples are growing in grace. Disciples are growing in grace. Verses 15 and 16. Rather, 
So instead of this sort of spiritual childhood, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There's a funny recurring encounter that I have with different folks who know me from the past or whatever else. And they know I've been pastoring a church now for, for several years. And so, especially early on, not as much anymore. But people all the time, they talk to me and say, how are you doing, Matt? Everything going well? Yeah, yeah things are great. I'm, I'm actually doing really well. I'm... Um, you know, pastoring, we've got a family, everything. Family good? Yeah, 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 family's good. Church good? You know what? It's really great. And, they, and then they, this is what they say next. They say, is it growing yet? Thanks for asking. Um, how do you mean? What, what do you mean by growing? In other words, if what you mean by growing is, do we have folks just pouring in the doors every Sunday, longing to hear my sermons, just can't wait to get there, and some of y'all may be like that. Don't tell me if you are. I don't need that in my life. Uh, <laughs> people joining ten by the throngs every Sunday. No, no, it's not. It's not growing like that. But let me ask you this question: If, if by you mean, do you mean growing in grace, growing closer to Jesus, learning learning more about the Scriptures, sharing our faith more, discipling better? then yeah, we are growing. And guess what? Along the way, the Lord is adding to our number as well as He sees fit. He's blessing our efforts, and we thank God for that. You see, we're so addicted to growth that sometimes we forget about the most important growth in the Bible, which is growing in grace. How does the Bible define that? It says, speaking the truth in love. We're to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. Something I've learned over the last years is some of the people who are most passionate about sturdy Christianity, and I'm passionate about that. Some of the most folks that are most passionate about intense discipleship, knowing the Bible well, sticking to the Scriptures, the things I'm passionate about as well, there's a blind spot among us, and it can be a blind spot in each of our lives as we grow nearer to Jesus, and that's the blind spot of acting like a jerk in the process. That as long as I'm telling the truth, that's all that matters. And that is totally antithetical to the teachings of Christ. The Bible says, speak the truth in love. And we're so convinced that everybody in the world is a snowflake that we have lost the ability to speak well and truthfully in love. We are here to build each other up. We are here to speak the truth in love. And we are here to grow together, held together by every joint, buttressed by the truth, being equipped by God, each part working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Brothers and sisters, we may not always be growing numerically like we want and, and nobody here wants that to happen more than me. And, and we may not always be growing in all the ways the world thinks we ought to be growing. But here's where I want to stake my life. And here's where I want to stake our discipleship. This is who we are. This is who First Baptist Church is. We want to be the sort of people who are connected to Jesus. Who are building one another up. 
who are discipling each other, who are following Christ and thereby making the body grow and building itself up in love. That's our goal, that's our aim, that's our heart as we make disciples of all nations according to the command of our Lord. Jesus has asked, will you follow him? And my question today is, what is your answer? I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus for the first time, this altar is open to you. If you will turn from your sins and repentance and turn to God in faith through the blood of Jesus Christ, He is faithful. He will save you this morning if you'll put your faith and trust in Him. Second of all, you may be a Christian. You may say, Pastor, I'm so convicted about my growth as a disciple, and I just want some time to pray. This altar is open to you. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. I'd love to talk to you this morning about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for this opportunity we have to gather together with your church. And, Lord, we thank you for the grace that we've received in Jesus Christ. And, Father, our prayer is that you would move among us this morning. God, that you would bear fruit in our midst. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.